Welcome to the Rings of Power half hour for episode 6 of the Rings of Power, uh, titled Undun, Udun, sorry, Udun. Um, so, I really enjoyed this episode, and I'm excited to talk about it, because even though it was very action-packed, there's still a lot of lore to go into. Um, and uh, I feel pretty good about um, the lore they talked about in this episode, and they didn't really stray away a ton. Um, but I'm going to... Like we usually do, I'm first going to give a quick overview of the episode and give my thoughts on it and then uh, um, talk about the lore. But so uh, this episode just solely focuses on the two storylines of Gladriel and the Numenorians and um, Arondir and Bronwyn and the Southlanders. Um, and they get to come together. Those two storylines meet together uh, towards the end of the episode. Um, but we see... Uh, uh, Adar and the orcs attack um, the fortress and then uh, they get tricked and trapped in there but then the Southlanders come back to that village that they were at and set up shop and prepare it for uh, the attack of the orcs and the orcs do attack and they the Southlanders win but uh, they find that most of the uh, people there or the orcs that they thought were all orcs were some of them were some of the Southlanders that turned against them. So they're lamenting for a little bit and then the uh, orcs attack and uh, they all hold up in the tavern and Adar comes in and Theo gives away the location of that the shard of the sword, the, uh, the hilt of the sword. Um, but as it's happening, uh, the Numenorians come and they're all riding on their horses and it's really cool they ride over. I'm going to talk a little bit about that but uh later on but they ride in and they help save the uh the southlanders and uh they think they have they think they stopped everything and they think they have um uh, what's adar uh with the hilt of the sword but it turns out they don't um uh adar sent uh i can't remember the guy's name but it's one of the s the leader of the uh turned southlanders uh, actually has the hilt of the sword. Um, and Adar had a fake, or not a fake, just a hatchet wrapped up, which was um, something that confused me. How would they not f be able to feel that it's just a hatchet? Because that's a completely different shape than the hilt of the sword. But that's not really a big deal. Um, but it was still something that threw me off. But I did enjoy this episode. And... Uh, Oh, I forgot to tell the end. The ending, uh, the, that one leader of the turned Southlanders puts the sword into the thing and turns it and all the waters flow. And it turns out the entire time the orcs in Adar were tunneling and digging the, um, trenches, they were digging towards Mount Doom in Mordor. And, uh, they, uh, once their plan was to let the water out and it would funnel all the way to the volcano mount doom and it would explode and that's what happened and it was really cool to see that and uh i feel like this episode there's been a lot of uh like story progression but it's been very slow in the last five episodes but this one i feel like really uh pushes things forward and gets things going even though it's what there's only two more episodes i think yeah two more episodes left i feel like it gets things going um which i'm excited about uh because i was kind of getting burnt out uh on the show i guess i know it's only 
was only five episodes in, but I was getting really bored and I wasn't really interested in it. And I wasn't really, if I'm being honest, I wasn't super looking forward to watching this episode, but after watching it, I'm more excited about the show and, uh, my excitement has just been revived. But, um, what we don't see in this episode is anything of Elrond and the dwarves and Durin, um, which, uh, wasn't a big deal because of the story that was going on with, um, the Numenorians and the Southlanders. Um, but we also don't see the halflings and the, uh, or the Harfoots, they're called Harfoots. The Harfoots and the Stranger, which I'm fine with. I am not a big fan of the Harfoot storyline. Um, I mean, maybe it'll definitely have to connect back, but I don't know. I'm just not really into it. But um, we get to learn more about uh, Halbrand and who he is, and he becomes the leader of the, or the king of the Southlanders, um, which is kind of weird. He just shows up in, uh, Muriel brings Bronwyn and him together, and she's like, look at this guy, this guy's Halbaran, and he's like, nice to meet you, and Bronwyn looks down at the symbol he has, and she's like, okay, that's the king, and they all hail the king. It's kind of a weird, like, shift uh, I feel like there'd have to be more proof than just that, but I don't know. It was still a good episode, you know. But, you know, I'm going to get into some of the lore of it. And Oh, wait. um, I forgot to mention Isildur and uh, his dad have some nice moments in this uh, episode. Uh, mostly um, the one right before Mount Doom erupts and... Uh, Isildur's trying to calm down his horse, um, and his dad comes up and calms down the horse, and then they talk about, uh, Isildur's mother, which they also talk about earlier, Gladriel asks Isildur's father, um, about his wife, he says she drowned, um, but we get to learn more about Isildur, and, uh, he's finally, he's finally able to fight and, uh, be part of the army, which seems like is what he wanted, and, uh, after this episode, he's going to, or he's supposed to, with his friend, go as part of a group to hunt down the remaining orcs that escaped. But I think all that, those plans have changed uh, after Mount Doom erupts. Uh, I think everybody's plans changed after Mount Doom erupt, erupted. But um, one thing I did think was weird is when Mount Doom erupted, everybody was just running away, and Galadriel just stood there, and I feel like, I mean, I mean, you could say she was, like, accepting whatever happens to her, like, accepting her fate, but I feel like she could still have a better chance of surviving if she, uh, gets out of the way, or, like, gets behind something, I don't know, it just seems weird that she's just standing there, um, but, yeah, it was a good episode, and I did enjoy it, but we're gonna get into the lore for real now, um, because, like I said, even though there was a lot of... It was mo mostly an action-packed episode. Uh, it was the most action-packed episode. But um, there was still some lore that goes on um, and stuff that they mention. So I'm going to go over that right now. So the first thing is the name of the episode, Adun. Um, which is, um, in the Third Age, it's, it's a location in Mordor. Um, I guess the location's there in... Uh, throughout all the ages, but, um, that's what they call it in the Third Ages. Uh, it's this location in the middle of Mordor. Um, 
But it also means hell in Sindarin, which is probably what they're referencing here because of the volcano erupting. And that's why it's called Udun, um, is because um, of all the volcanic action that goes on there. So Udun means hell in Sindarin. And then we see uh, at the start of the episode, and then probably towards halfway through, um, some Elferin plant or Elferin seeds. Um, which Bronwyn gave to Arondir, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was the first episode, uh, she gave it to him, it was the first or second, I can't remember, but, um, she gave him some of the, uh, seeds for Alfarin, and at the start of the episode, we see Adar plant some Alfarin seeds before he goes into battle, um, and then later in the episode, uh, Bronwyn and Arondir plant some, uh, before they go in and into battle and it's supposed to be uh life and defiance of death as i i think is what it, they say and um uh it just shows with adar that he's still elvish and even though he's i don't know turning or he's not turning into orc he is more embracing the orc elvish or evil side of himself there's still uh some of that elvish left in him uh because that's an elvish uh practice uh but i couldn't find anything in tolkien's uh writings or legendarium about this practice uh if it was an actual thing that tolkien wrote that the elves did but um so it's not in his legendarium but it's not a big deal to me i think it's a cool addition they added it's not like something that or it's it makes sense for or or, uh, elves to do that it's just it just makes sense. It's not like a weird lore edition. Um, but oh, I'm going to read part of a letter Tolkien wrote. This is from... Let me get the book. Uh, this is from the letters of J.R. Tolkien. Uh, it's letter 312, where he talks about some flowers from the Lord of the Rings. Um, and he says... I have, in, I have greatly enjoyed the Cape Flower Book, quite fascinating in itself in its general botanical and indeed paleo implications. I have not seen anything that immediately recalls Nymphredil, Eleanor, or Elferin, but I think that is because those imagined flowers are lit by a light that would not be seen ever in a growing plant and cannot be recaptured by paint. And then he goes and talks about Nymphredil and El- Eleanor, but um, then he talks about Elferin. He says, Elferin, in parentheses, immortal end of the parentheses, would be an immortal but not dry and papery, simply a beautiful bell-like flower running through many colors but soft and gentle. Um, and we see some of Elferin in the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, you see it in the mounds. It's the flowers that grow on the mounds of uh, the dead men. I can't remember if there's a specific reason or it's a specific reason why it grows on those mounds, but... Um, it means in Sindarin not dying. So it's just like a, a I don't know, a, like a symbol of even though those people are dead, their memories will not die. Um, and it's just a cool addition to see, or a cool thing they reference. Um, and it's cool to see Adar planting it because uh, he kind of does it behind a tree so the orcs can't see, even though they're right there. So um, he's still attached to his uh, elvish side. Next, um, this is right when uh, um, Arondir and Bronwyn are planting the seed. He, Arondir references a Valar. Uh, 
that takes care and watches over the plants and uh, living things. Um, and that's a reference to the Valar Yavanna. I'm going to quick read something about her, but um, just so you understand who she is. If you don't know what a Valar is, Grant and I referenced them in an earlier episode. Uh, I think episode 5, the Rise Minions, the Rise of Morgoth, we talk about them. And uh, they're just mentioned throughout. So if you want to understand uh, who and what they are, um, you can listen to those episodes. Or maybe we'll do a whole episode just on the Valar. But um, So this is from the Silmarillion, the Valaquenta on... Or of the Valar. It says, The spouse of Aule is Yavanna, the giver of fruits. And before I move any further, uh, Aule is the uh, um, the Valar that created the dwarves, which we hear referenced in the second episode, I think, when Elrond first goes to Casa Doom. But so Aule is the husband of Yavanna and the creator of the dwarves. Um, Yavanna, the giver of fruits. She's a lover of all things that grow in earth and all their countless forms she holds in her mind. From the trees like towers in the forest long ago to the moss upon the stones or the small and secret things in the mold. In reference, Ivana is next to the Varda among the queens of Valar. In the form of a woman, she is tall and robed in green, but at times she takes other shapes. Some there are who have seen her standing like a tree under heaven crowned with the sun and from all its branches there spilled a golden dew upon the barren earth, and it grew green with corn. But the roots of the trees were like the waters of Ulmo, and the winds of Manwe spoke in its leaves. Um, so that is just a quick overview of who Yvanna is, um, if you didn't know. Uh, and it's um, cool that they referenced it. I don't know why they didn't mention Yvanna. I don't know if they can't because of the rights. They don't have the rights to Silmarillion. Um, if that's why they had to say a Valar instead of Yvanna, or if they just didn't want to confuse people who don't, um, or who don't, haven't read the Silmarillion because it's kind of like throwing another character name in there. Um, and it's not very, it's not a necessary thing. They don't have to reference it. Um, it works out fine if they just say a Valar, but yeah, so they're referencing Yvanna, um, which is cool, and it's also, she's also the Valar that um, helped in creating the Ents, which um, we get to see part of, we get to see some Ents in the trailers, but we haven't seen any Ents yet, which I'm looking forward to seeing some Ents, because uh, the Ents are my favorite. Uh, my, I think, I think my favorite, one of my favorite parts in the Lord of the Rings trilogy is when Merry and Pippin are, um, with the Ents and uh, the Ents attack. And uh, it's just a cool part. Ents are just cool and I like them. And Tolkien likes trees too. Uh, Tolkien talks a lot about trees. and uh, Not trees in, trees. He talks a lot about trees. But um, um, another thing that happens with Isildur. I mentioned with his father. Um, Isildur and his father. Uh, Isildur comes to his father's side. Um, which is similar to what will happen... At the end of the second age, um, before he gets the ring, um, because his father is one of the people who helps uh, take down Sauron or his physical being, and uh, kind of—I mean, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of a spoiler, but not really. If you've read *The Lord of the Rings*, Isildur gets the ring, cuts off the hand of Sauron, and gets the ring. 
So uh, it was just cool to see that because that's um, similar to what will happen later on in the story. Um, and as the orcs are uh, orcs are marching towards wherever, I guess they do it all the time. Is they s- they chant Nampat or Namfat, Nampat, I think it is, uh, which is just uh, dark speech for uh, death. So they're just chanting death, um, which I didn't understand what it was uh, when they first started doing it. It makes more sense now that I know it means death. Um, but yeah, that's just a quick thing that they mention, or that I felt like mentioning is that Nampat means death. But um, when Gladriel is chasing Adar um, after he's running away with what we think is the hilt of the sword, but it's actually the hatchet. She leans down to her horse and, uh, says, or whispers slash says Norolim, um, which her ch- horse speeds up. Um, and this means run swift. Um, and this is what Arwen says to her horse in Lord of the Rings when she's taking, when she's taking Frodo back to Rivendell and she's being chased by, uh, the Ringwraiths. She said she also says Norlim, so that was kind of cool to see. Um, and so Nor means run, and Lim means swift. So Norlim means run swift. Um, and uh, also, there's mentioned with the orcs um, when Galadriel is interrogating Adar, uh, she says he's the son of son of darkness. I think it is. Um, is what she mentions, and she mentions, I think she mentions Melkor, um, turning the elves in, towards the darkness, and that's something that, uh, happens in the Silmarillion in the first stage, or before the first stage, actually. I can't remember exactly when it is. It's before, it would have to be the year of the trees, right? Yeah, the trees, it'd be in the year of trees. Um, but, uh, so I'm going to read something from the Silmarillion of the coming of the elves. Uh, and this is when Melkor, or this is like talking about Melkor, uh, corrupting some elves. Um, but of those unhappy ones who were ensnared by Melkor, little is known of a certainty for who of the living has descended into the pits of Atumno or has explored the darkness of the consuls of Melkor. Yet it is held true by the wise of Asera that all those of the Quendi who came into the hands of Melkor, ere Atumno was broken, were put in were put there in prison by slow arts of cruelty, were corrupted and enslaved, and thus did Melkor breed the hideous race of orcs in envy and mockery of the elves, of whom they were afterwards the bitterest of foes. For the orcs had life and multiplied after a manner of the children of Luvatar, and not that had life of its own, nor the semblance of life, could ever Melkor make since his rebellion in the Anilindale before the beginning of days, so say the wise. And deep in their dark hearts of the orcs loathed the master whom they served in fear, the maker only of their misery, that it may be was the vilest deed of Melkor, and the most hateful to Iluvatar. So, yeah, so the orcs weren't just created on their own, and Melkor didn't just create the orcs out of nothing. He corrupted um, elves. Uh, I think they mentioned uh, what did they say? The Quendi, with Quendi is a type of elf. Um, 
so they Melkor corrupted the elves, and it makes sense that it wouldn't just be right from an elf to an orc. It'd be like a slow progression. Um, so it there were elves that weren't fully orcs, but they were corrupted elves, and over time they became orcs. Um, so that's something cool that they mentioned. I thought that was cool that they just or that they mentioned that um, because it's something that you wouldn't know if you didn't. Um, like dive deep into the lore and it's an interesting part of the lore um, and they do talk a little bit about or debate about um, the redemption of orcs like uh, Tolkien struggled with this towards the end of his life with if orcs could be redeemed because they were born into evil um, and it's just the debate of it's pretty similar to the debate of like is, is man inherently evil and uh are the orcs inherently evil and can there be redemption for the orcs and can there be good orcs? So uh, that was interesting that they talked about that because that's like diving deep into the lore and the, I guess, philosophy in the lore. Because um, you don't really think about it when you're in Lord of the Rings, the orcs are just the bad guys. And also in the Silmarillion, they're just bad. Uh, there's no really redemption for them. There's not like a orc that kind of does good or there's nothing there's nothing good that the orcs do they're 100 percent evil so it's interesting that um they're talking about uh like redemption for the orcs and are orcs all evil um which is a interesting thing to look into um that uh tolkien struggled with at the end of his life uh but i don't know i feel like for with what's going on, what the story's covering with the creation of the rings and Sauron coming back and everything, I don't think they'll really delve much deeper into redemption of the orcs and anything like that. But it's still an interesting thing that they bring up and uh, discuss. But yeah, so that was just a quick overview of the orcs and uh, uh, how they're created by Melkor. Um, and another thing that I thought was interesting um is when theo is or after the battle is over and um uh Halbrand is uh announced as king of the southlanders um Ar arondir looks over and sees theo sitting there so he goes up to theo and th uh theo starts talking to him about how he feels lost in Rounder's confused and he's talking about the loss of the sword um, and how he when he held the sword or had the sword in his possession he felt powerful and without it he feels like he lost something of himself and he desires the sword which is similar to obviously the one ring and the power it has over the ring bearer um, which is something interesting um, I keep saying interesting I don't know why I say interesting so much because sometimes it's not interesting, but I just say interesting. Uh, but it's similar to the One Ring, and I just thought it was... I just keep wanting to say interesting. I don't know. It's an interesting... Uh, I was going to embrace it. It's an interesting um, parallel between the two. I mean, I wonder if it's going to play much into Theo's story, if um, this is like uh, foreshadowing him becoming evil or something. Because um, Theo is a made-up character. Uh, he's not part of the lore. I guess all the characters are made up, but Theo's not part of 
Tolkien's Legendarium, so he could, there's no, um, like, set course his character has to follow. Um, we don't know what happens to his character, so he could become evil, um, but I'm not saying he is going to, I'm just saying this could be foreshadowing it because he has that desire for the sword, which, uh, in turn is just, he has desire for power, and, uh, one way to get power is to have that possession of that sword, but maybe he'll play into something with the rings, because if he is, uh, if he has that desire for the sword, he might have the same desire for the rings if he's somehow involved, I don't know, but I just thought that was another interesting thing, um, and, uh, uh, when Bronwyn is talking to Theo, he says, can you say those things you say, or the th that thing you said before when I had bad dreams? And um, she says, I'm not going to quote it verbatim because uh, you'll see why uh, in a little bit. But she says, um, in the end, the shadow uh, is only a small and passing thing. There is light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. And then something about if you can get the light, the... Um, darkness will go away um, and I thought that was really cool that they added that because that is a iteration on a Tolkien quote from the Lord of the Rings um, which I will read in a second but um, it's one of the most I, I want to say the most famous quotes but it's one of the I think the best quotes that Tolkien has in all of his writings um, and I thought it was cool that they did an iteration of that in uh, the Rings of Power especially with what was about to go on. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just going to read the paragraph that it's from. Um, this is from the um, Return of the King, the Land of Shadow chapter. And this is when Frodo and Sam are on the way to Mount Doom, and they are about to fall asleep. Um, so this is what happens. Frodo sighed and was asleep almost before the words were spoken. Sam struggled with his own weariness, and he took Frodo's hand, and there he sat silent till deep night fell. Then at last, to keep himself awake, he crawled from the hiding place and looked out. The land seemed full of creaking and cracking and sly noises, but there was no sound of voice or foot. Far above the Ephel Dureth, in the west, the night sky was still dim and pale. There, peeping among the cloud rack above the dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. His song in the tower had been defiance rather than hope, for then he was thinking to himself. Now for a moment his own fate and even his master's ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side, and putting away all fear he cast himself into a deep untroubled sleep. So that's the quote from the Lord of the Rings um, that they uh, did an iteration on for what Bronwyn says, and I thought it also connects um, because after uh, Sam thinks that he goes back to sleep and has a uninterrupted peaceful, peaceful sleep, um, which is what Bronwyn was attempting to do with uh, Theo and his bad dreams. Um, but, uh, it's probably, there's probably not like a connection there between her saying that and Sam saying, thinking that, um, so I don't think they really have to justify putting that in there because I thought it was a nice addition. 
and everything. But, um, yeah, I just enjoyed that, and I enjoyed this episode, and I'm looking forward to the finale of this first season. I'm thinking what Grant and I can do for the season finales, we'll do a Rings of Power Half Hour together, um, so that we can talk about our feelings with, uh, the entire season and our thoughts on that. Um, but yeah, so Grant will be coming to you guys with the next episode of the Rings of Power Half Hour for episode seven. Um, and I don't, I didn't quite make it to 30 minutes, I'm pretty sure, but I feel like I got pretty close. Um, but I guess I have one more shot, uh, for the season finale. So thank you guys for listening. Um, and if you haven't listened to our latest episode of, uh, uh, Exploring Middle Earth, episode 31, The Children of Fingolfin, our next episode, we're going to be finishing up, um, I guess it's a trilogy, The Children um, of Feanor, so we're going to finish that up, so you guys will be able to have a whole overview of all the elves, um, not obviously not all the elves, but all the big elves in the, from the first age and on, so thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys later.